and welcome to a brand new episode of Wandering Off, the Vanderbilt University Career Center Professional Development Podcast in partnership with Vanderbilt Student Media. I'm your host, Jacqueline Grogan, and in today's episode, I sit down with Vanderbilt alum Wes Matlich to talk about his corkscrew of a career path from wanting to become the next biggest rock star to getting a degree in philosophy from Vanderbilt, to becoming a CPA through Wake Forest, being on Wall Street as an investment banker, and now running a cannabis company in Colorado. Wes has a lot of profound insights and incredible stories to share, so without further ado, my interview with Wes Matlich. Wes, welcome to the podcast. Before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from? You're you're an alum of, of Vanderbilt, so maybe talk about your experience here or while you were here. Sure. So I'm Wes Matlich. I'm from New York, just outside the city. I came to Vanderbilt in 2007 with dreams of being a rock star, and I left a philosophy major who became an accountant, an investment banker, and a cannabis grower. So... Here I am now. And were you involved in any particular organizations on campus or mostly your philosophy major? Did you carry on music in your undergraduate career? Sure. So I came in thinking I was going to play music and that, you know, coming to Vanderbilt was really an excuse to get my dad off my back. Mm -hmm. So I had always wanted to go to music school. Mm -hmm. And my dad is the ultimate pragmatist and said, you know, why don't you find a school with two degrees so you can get a music degree and pursue something else so Mm -hmm. that on the off chance that you're not going to be the next, you know, Axl Rose, um, you might actually be gainfully employed. So I saw Vanderbilt as an opportunity to be in Music City, USA Mm -hmm. and pursue the passion while also, you know, making amends with, you know, family life and, you know, pursuing a degree that maybe, you know, would pay the bill someday, which... Of course, I ended up being a philosophy major, which a lot of people joke, you know, you're going to have really expensive conversations about being unemployed. Yeah. But uh, um, when I got here, I realized that spending, you know, only part of my time and energy on playing music and the other half, you know, studying or doing whatever it was that I was pursuing, I was never going to be able to compete. Mm -hmm. I mean, a real gigging musician plays 12 hours a day, promoting their music, promoting their brand, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in today's world. Music is not just music. You got to right. be a personality. You got to have a lot more going on. And mm-hmm. um, I was also really interested in less commercial music in terms of classical music from mm-hmm. a you know flamenco guitar perspective. And then also I was really into heavy metal. So mm-hmm. neither one of those things really pays the bills. Yeah. Um, and when I realized I wasn't going to be competitive, I kind of had to take a look at myself and say, okay, my passion and I'll call it my security blanket too mm-hmm. was my time spent in music. And now that I'm not going to do that, I have nothing. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, blank canvas, which right. was horrifying at first, but also a huge opportunity for mm-hmm. me to sort of explore new things and, and grow up. You yeah. Know, when you're 18, you show up to school, you think you got it all figured yeah. out. And then, you know, the walls come down and yeah. it's time to reset. So no, absolutely. And, and one of those things that you explored happened to be, as you said, your philosophy major. So can you talk a little bit to how you went from, you know, heavy metal, classical, flamenco guitar to, you know, studying con and utilitarian ethics and the like? Those are the things I spent my time on. Yeah. So dumb luck, honestly, just really lucky. I mean, Vanderbilt's a really special place in that 
Um, the school is set up for you to learn how to socialize across a very broad set of not only classes and teachers, but people and experiences. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a freshman coming in and, and having sort of my brain explode, okay, I'm not going to be in Blair. I'm not going to mm -hmm. spend all my time on Broadway playing that set of, okay, go take the required courses, go try new things, right. see what fits. Mm -hmm. It sounds kind of cliche and goofy now coming mm -hmm. out of my mouth, but that's really what happened. It was like I tried some science classes because I really enjoyed that in high school. Mm -hmm. Didn't like it at all. Right. Just wow. did not fit. I tried econ. It was just a bunch of charts, which is mm -hmm. funny because now econ is half of my professional yeah. life, but at the time it didn't resonate. Like I tried, man, I tried everything. Yeah, and the absolutely. only thing that really stuck was philosophy 100. Wow. Um, I walked into that class with Professor Joan Forey, who unfortunately is no longer here, but was my advisor throughout college. Um, and within five minutes knew that I'd found my home, you know, reading, writing, communication skills, mm -hmm. arguing your point. And I'm generally an argumentative person, finding a way to do that and build self-confidence through taking points on things I didn't really know anything about, but wanted to learn more about was hugely formative for me. Absolutely. And you kind of just spoke on this, but I'm curious about how that led you to where you are now, where, as you had mentioned before, you are doing more econ-oriented activity. So... There's a couple really key things that are fundamental to how I've sort of developed as a person. One was growing up, my parents had an excellent rule, which I tell all to-be parents they should really follow, which mm -hmm. is if you wanted to use a piece of electronic equipment, didn't matter, TV, whatever, you had to use double the amount of time reading. So mm -hmm. for every hour of television you watched, you had to read for two hours. So I was highly incentivized. Yeah. You know, if you binged them, you know, yeah. if you watch one Lord of the Rings movie, you're reading for yeah. the entire yeah. Sunday, Six right? Six hours, so, yeah. Um, reading and exploring new ideas was a huge part of who I was. Mm -hmm. um, when I got into music, you know, I became very single-minded. Mm -hmm. And when I blew everything up, when I got to Vanderbilt, it was sort of like, okay, let's reset again. And exploring new things, teaching myself things. The library card is sort of fundamental to how yeah. I found, you know, the steps to take from being a philosophy major with no direction to, mm -hmm. you know, the career that I built sort of in my life after Vanderbilt. You know, I taught myself econ while I was in my grad program at Wake Forest because it was something I knew I needed to understand mm -hmm. um, because I was getting left out of conversations. Being able to figure things out for yourself, being interested in learning, I mean, those are key to building a successful career and have been a huge part of my personal as well as professional development. Speaking of formative experiences, you briefly mentioned in a prior conversation an interaction you had with someone that was very eye-opening in that regard. Sure. I don't know if you want to talk yeah, to absolutely. that. Um, so I spent the majority of my college career spending all my time in the philosophy department, sure. um, which I loved. I took all sorts of ethics and logic classes and mm -hmm. really expanded my brain. But there was never any thought. You know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I got definitely deeply sucked into the Vanderbilt bubble, which is a really yeah. warm, safe, amazing yeah. place. And Absolutely. unfortunately, it also meant I had no idea what I was going to do yeah. when I left the bubble. So my senior year, I lived off campus at a place next to the Jersey Mike's that's now a park. It got condemned the yes. year after I lived there, but it was a great place to live in yeah. while I was here. And I had a deal with the manager of that Jersey Mike's, who I got to know just because I ate there a lot, mm -hmm. where I'd give her a case of beer on Fridays. And in mm -hmm. return, she would give me free food for the week. Good so deal. that for me was, you know, yeah. on, a, on a college student on a budget, free yeah. sandwiches all week. I ate a lot of roast beef that year. Yeah. Um, but one day I was walking in in that first semester and 
there's a guy behind the counter. Mm-hmm. And I knew I recognized him, couldn't place it. Mm-hmm. Start talking to him. And I said, you know, I'm having a deja vu moment. Yeah. You know, Why do I know you? Mm-hmm. And he said, did you go to Vanderbilt? I said, yeah, I'm a senior. You a philosophy major? I am. And then it clicked. Mm-hmm. This guy was the smartest guy in all of my classes. He had graduated a year before me. He was also a biomedical engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, I distinctly remember just being crushed by him yeah. in an epistemology class with Scott Aiken, who's actually still here. Yeah, I don't know he's if my you... professor now okay. for formal logic. <clears throat> yeah, he's fantastic. But I'm sure he remembers because I remember thinking, like, I am never going, you know, my intellect is so small compared to this mm-hmm. guy. And so I looked at him like an idiot, and I said, so what are you doing now? And he said, trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I left that Jersey Mike's and, you know, my brain had a nuclear meltdown. I was like, the smartest guy that I knew in class is making my roast beef sandwich. What am I going to do? Thankfully, about a week later, I was in an intro to accounting class. And this is where my pragmatic father shows up again Mm because he said, every person needs to at least know basic accounting so they can manage their own finances. So, okay. So I'm in that class and a young lady comes in and starts talking about a new program Mm -hmm. at Vanderbilt. And it was called the Masters of Accounting. Mm -hmm. And she said, if you spend 18 months with me, I'll get you the CPA, Mm -hmm. I'll get you a job, and I'll get you a graduate degree. Wow. And I thought, accounting does not sound interesting to me at all. Don't even like my intro class. But it's a language. It's Mm -hmm. like philosophy. And if I can communicate in the language of business, I can probably get a job and at least not be making sandwiches, which mm-hmm. I really did not aspire to. Mm-hmm. So I went to her office the next day, all fired up about, you know, okay, maybe I've figured something out. Maybe yeah. this is going to work for yeah. me. When I told her I was a philosophy major, I'll never forget this. She said, you need to start taking the GMAT now because it's going to take you three or four times to get the score you need. Mm-hmm. And that put a humongous chip on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started studying. I took the test. And in my research found that Wake Forest had the highest CPA pass rate mm-hmm. in the country and mm-hmm. one of the oldest master's programs mm-hmm. for accounting. And I thought if they can pass that many people, something like 97% right. every year, then they can get me over the hump because yeah. I know nothing. So that was my transition into accounting, which taught me that language, taught me how to work again in a way that I hadn't really, yeah. you know, philosophy was extremely grueling mm-hmm. at Vanderbilt, but it was also, it was sort of like being an entrepreneur. It was very sure. set your own schedule yeah. Read when you want, write when you want, mm-hmm. um, which I really liked. It let me be really independent. Right. Wake taught me how to fit in a system. Mm-hmm. You need to take this test at this time with these numbers doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And it was a different type of drive that I hadn't had probably since my days in music, which was much more regimented, um, which was perfect for me because it was an excellent transition into sure. you know, corporate life, which is way more regimented, at least where I was. Sure. Um, than anything I had done in the past. So that sandwich, I wish I remembered the guy's name because right. I'd yeah. give, I'm giving him an air hug right now because yeah. he changed my life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you graduate Vanderbilt, you go on to Wake Forest and study accounting. What is life like for you after that? Did you have any idea that you would be where you are today? No. I've My life's been sort of a pretzel ever since our corkscrew ever since I left. Sure. I uh, So while I was at Wake, I was pretty sure I was never going to be an accountant, mm-hmm. but I did do an internship as part of the program just mm-hmm. to, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So I worked at Ernst Young for three months and great firm, great mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Culture did not work for me. Sure. I just moved a little too slow, was a little too staid. Sure. And I wanted, I got addicted to the steep learning curve mm-hmm. at Wake. You know, you show up, you get an entire undergrad degree in three months to right. get into the program. Then you got 12 months of 
just vertical ascent sure. learning so you can pass the CPA, mm-hmm. you know, within basically having known nothing to right. 12 months later being a certified public accountant, right? So mm-hmm. that to me, I loved. I liked being the dumbest person in the room. I liked pushing myself. Wow, yeah. I really found that that energy. And I had friends who worked at Merrill Lynch mm-hmm. who had graduated same year as me in 11, but hadn't done the master's. They'd been working for mm-hmm. almost two years at that time. And I was telling them about my frustrations with accounting and where I want to end up. And they said, you need to try investment banking. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to keep that curve vertical and keep learning and expand your world and you're not sure what direction to go in, this sure. is a great stopover point. Sure. So when I learned more about it, I became a man obsessed again. I mean, I all my free time went into, this is now my goal. How do yeah. I get to that? It was like a dog chasing cars, yeah. right? I don't know if I'm going to catch one, yeah. but I'm going to sprint around after yeah. him for a while. So in business school, you get Fridays off. So mm-hmm. every Friday, I would go up to New York and just bother people. I'm talking the weakest connection you can possibly think of, I was calling you. Like, yeah. if your kid went to, you know, preschool with me when yeah. I was five years old, I was calling you and asking wow. you to have coffee with me, right? Wow. And after just blanketing Wall Street for months, and, you know, I'm, I'm almost at the end of my sure. graduate school career. Sure. I don't have a job yet. Sure. No idea what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Everyone's telling me I'm an idiot because I turned down two accounting offers to right, try and pursue right. this. Wow. And I'm the only kid in the class without a job. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm a little, desperate is probably the word. You know? <laughs> a little <laughs> right. nervous. Right. And I got in touch with someone at J.P. Morgan through a friend. And they weren't hiring, but they said, you know, we can't consider you in the future unless we meet you. So if you're going to be in New York, why don't you stop by? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm actually going to be there on Friday. Of course, I was not. I bought right. a plane ticket, you know. Right. You know, I'm on my last dollar of my, you know, bank account going up there. And what was supposed to be 30 minutes turned into five hours. So what I didn't know mm. was the day before I got there, one of the analysts had a nervous breakdown and quit. Wow. wow. So they needed someone immediately. Mm-hmm. These groups are very small and because um, the work doesn't really scale across teams. Mm-hmm. So when someone leaves, it it blows a huge hole Very in the workload. Sure, yeah. sure. So I had that sort of five-hour experience, and then two hours later they called me and said, when can you start? Wow. And it was sort of just, again, another thing that's left an indelible impression on me that you got to make your own luck. Yeah. you got to have your line in the water, and life is all about luck and timing. But if you do that, all that hard work, which is, to me, like 2% of the equation, mm-hmm, really, mm-hmm. you get a chance to get that 98%, right? right? So I ended up at J.P. Morgan. Loved what I did. Mm-hmm. I worked in the financial sponsor groups. I covered mm-hmm. private equity firms, helped people buy and sell companies. Sure. Within the first few weeks of being there, I was working on a $2 billion IPO. Wow. I mean, which is someone who had no experience, no idea what they're doing. This was the steep learning curve. Again. Yeah, I was going to say. You know, it was just perfect for me and my personality, and I loved it. After the two and a half years, I ended up at a client working in private equity on the other side. So another example of a place where super steep learning curve, even smaller teams, excellent experience. I had tons of mentorship opportunities Mm -hmm. and chance to see the world too. During that time, I think something that, for lack of a better word, I think I was starting to lose perspective. Life on Wall Street, the pace is frenetic. The work is super interesting, but really challenging. And if you're not there for the right reasons, you can really lose yourself in it. So after a couple of years, and this is not anything to do with the places I work because they're amazing and the people at those places I'm still very close with. But I think I ended up doing some of that work towards the end for the wrong reasons. Sure. And I started doubting why 
I was working so hard if I didn't feel the passion. And mm -hmm. it wasn't because the work wasn't important or interesting, but it, it stopped resonating with me. Sure. Um, and at that time, I'd been on a board observer of a company called RX Green Technologies mm -hmm. since 2013. Mm -hmm. And the opportunity in cannabis really resonated with me. It's mm -hmm. a new market opening up. Sure. This was sort of my generation's version of the internet, was yeah. how I felt. And unlike the internet, which I still don't understand, yeah. I'm the least tech-savvy person on the planet, mm -hmm. cannabis I could understand. I could sure. wrap my head around it, and I could see the opportunity. It and was like a new language for you. Almost exactly. That, yeah. Exactly. And a completely new learning opportunity yeah. where, unlike everything else I had done, the rules were completely unwritten in cannabis. They still mm -hmm. are. So the opportunity to make it up as you go and figure mm -hmm. things out was really compelling to me. And mm -hmm. I wanted a chance to sort of write my own story. In the new year, I spent a lot of time sort of soul searching, spent sure. time with the founder. And when, you know, after that New Year's bell struck, I knew what I needed to do. I left, mm -hmm. um, still miss all those people. And mm -hmm the job I used to do, but this has been a great new path for me. So yeah, absolutely. Now I am the CEO of a cannabis inputs business. So we make fertilizer primarily, mm -hmm. but basically everything you need to grow cannabis at a commercial scale. Sure. What is a piece of advice that you would give to someone who is now in the position that you were in during your undergraduate career? Philosophy major, undeclared, really ambitious, but not entirely sure of, of what the future held. And what is a piece of advice you would give someone who is specifically interested in what you're doing now? For everybody, I would say people always think of communication as outward facing. And that's just wrong. Mm -hmm. You need to learn how to communicate with yourself and understand the why. And if you can communicate with yourself, understand what's important to you and know who you are and what you're about, the how becomes very easy. People mm -hmm. always worry about the how. How am I going to get up and do that? How sure. am I going to figure it out? You just do it. You put right. your right foot in front of your left, and mm -hmm. it kind of just comes together. Mm -hmm. But if you don't understand the why, and as a function of that, who you are, mm -hmm. you'll never be able to effectively communicate to the outside world. Mm -hmm. It won't be authentic, mm -hmm. and you won't succeed. And that's something that's really hard, and it takes regular work. And sometimes it breaks down, but mm -hmm. if you keep at it, it will guide everything that you do. For people interested in cannabis, um, and what advice would I give you? This is sort of a strange point to take because I don't think anyone else will say this, but it's if you're a little late. The amount of capital and talent that's flooding into the space is almost overwhelming at this point. Mm -hmm. There's an amazing, amazing guy named Nolan Bushnell. So Nolan Bushnell invented Atari and Chuck E. Cheese. Super successful oh, wow. entrepreneur. Yeah. And the piece of advice he always gives, and I think this is really applicable in this case, is you know, there's lots of smart people in the world. It's much easier to be a smart person in a little corner somewhere alone than it is to be a smart person chasing after the thing everyone else is chasing. Yeah. For me, when I made this transition, people were still really worried about the federal government and still are to some degree mm -hmm. in cannabis and what's going to happen and mm -hmm. am I exposing myself to potential jail time. And I would also call it social currency. You know, sure. Are people going to look at me differently because I'm involved in what some people believe to be not such a great thing? Right, right. right. You know, those are hard decisions versus... Uh, very you know, politicized yes. kind of Stay, although it's strange, I think in five years, people will look at what I did on Wall Street less favorably than what I do yeah. now in cannabis. But, yeah. you know, time will tell. But swim upstream. Mm -hmm. Go a different direction. If, that's, if what you're worried about is finding opportunity, right? If your passion is in cannabis, there's a million opportunities out there. 
I would tell you to go to the regulated markets on the East Coast. There's a lot more opportunity. They're developing more slowly. Um, it's a little less of a Wild West feel than yeah. if you head out to California, Oregon, mm-hmm. Washington, it's a very different feel. It's mm-hmm. moving much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a different different game. There is one last question that we ask all of our guests, which is, can you describe to me the weirdest or wildest, wackiest job experience you've had in your life? So as I'm sure some listeners may or may not know, but uh, cannabis today has real issues with the banking system due to anti-money laundering rules. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of cash, which is what can make it a little bit tricky to manage a multi-state business. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, a lot of this has been sort of fixed now with credit mm-hmm. unions. But when I got started, there was no real answer. Mm-hmm. So we used to have to collect cash mm-hmm. and consolidate it and move it around physically. Mm-hmm. So two years ago, I was driving and I had $300,000 in a duffel bag in my car. In cash? In cash. Wow. In 20s. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I'm driving to my secure location because at the time, I also didn't have a security company to do it for me. Yeah. Thankfully. I want to make this clear so no one follows me out of here. We don't, <laughs> we don't do any of this anymore yeah. because we've been able to solve it. But at the time, so I'm driving, and I get off on the off-ramp, and it had two lanes, and I'm in the left, and there's cars in front of me, cars in my right. Sure. And all of a sudden, I see in my rear view a black charger screams up behind me, nails the brakes, and I, I noticed because I heard the brakes squeal. Yeah. And the two guys in the car have hockey masks on, like Jason masks, the oh white ones. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, and that's scary. Wait, I thought you meant, wow. That's, no. That's... Yeah, like the murderer yeah. mask, <laughs> right? Like old school. And I'm sitting in my car. I'm alone. I'm in the yeah. car. I've got all this money next to me yeah. on the front seat. I'm thinking, how does anyone know? Yeah. Do I roll the window down? Do yeah. I throw the money out the side? Do I try and drive my car through the other people? Do yeah. I get out and run? You yeah. know, my heart is you know, yeah. banging through my chest. Wow. I don't know what to do. And thankfully... I'm so overwhelmed, I do nothing, right? Wow. yeah. And the light turns green and everyone moves. Nothing happens. I make my left. They go straight. I pull into the, into the parking lot and I'm sitting there just like, you know, my brain's popping out of my head. This is the day before Halloween. I forgot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, my goodness. They were just messing with people, but... Man, if only those guys yeah. knew who they were messing yeah. with. Yeah. Oh my, that is actually yeah. that's that is the, the last time story. I carried money myself. Yeah, in this business, I that would be hired out to ex cops now. I would be overwhelmed just to see that amount of money in person in cash. It some weird thoughts go through your head. Yeah, you know, I would imagine. Exactly. How how bad is my bad day going? Should I just go to Mexico? Yeah. Yeah, just take a quick trip. No one will know. That's right. Well, Wes, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing your story and insights. Happy to do it. Go doors. This has been Wandering Off. Thank you so much to Silas Dean for your intro-outro music. Thank you so much to Vanderbilt Student Media for all of your help and resources. I'm your host, Jacqueline Grogan. Tune in next time for a brand new episode of Wandering Off coming very soon. Until then, work hard, be kind, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you.